Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Do you remember back in uh, 2017, 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit Texas and uh, specifically the Houston area and the suburbs and caused widespread devastation, caused massive flooding and destruction. Uh, In most areas, it took three days or in some cases more for the flood water to recede. Now, what's interesting in the uh, days and months and years after that happened, sociologists interviewed and investigated how survivors, especially in suburban middle-class neighborhoods, responded to the flood. What you're seeing right now on the side screens is video from Friendswood, Texas, and you can see just how high the floodwaters are, and we can only imagine just how much damage and destruction that would do to each and every home in these neighborhoods. When researchers interviewed residents who lived through that, they found that almost everybody was willing to receive help in the immediate aftermath of the disaster. In fact, people in shelter areas, most of them were on their cell phones signing up to get on the lists for FEMA assistance. It was almost like help was being forced upon the residents. And in their book, researchers recorded this one interaction that a homeowner had with people coming through the neighborhood to offer assistance. The homeowner clearly needed help. They had just went through what you saw on the screen. And those who were offering help said, do you need any help? And the homeowner said, no, I'm fine. Do you need any help? No, I'm fine. Do you need any help? No, I'm fine. No, actually we can tell, obviously you need some help, so we're going to stay here until you allow us to help you. So in the immediate aftermath, in the immediate aftermath, almost everybody although some reluctantly were willing to accept some assistance. But then over time, the atmosphere in the neighborhoods changed because no longer was the help forced upon the residents. Now they had to go and ask for residents. A married mother in her 40s told researchers, we're used to being the ones who go out and help others. We're not used to being the people who get help. And In the months after the TV cameras left, but the disaster and the the, uh, destruction remained, one woman said that she felt guilty about asking a group from her own church to help, even though that group, like every week in the lobby, they were saying, we are here to help anyone who needs assistance. And she actually needed help, but said that she felt guilty requesting a group from her own church to come over and assist her. Now, we are, of course, of course, not asking for a natural disaster, of course. (laughs) But it's likely that many of us would respond the same way as the residents of Friendswood, Texas, that we would be willing to receive help in the immediate aftermath of the crisis, but then 
many of us would like to quickly default back to self-sufficiency, back to independence. We don't want to feel dependent on anyone. We like to get by and even thrive, even in disasters or crises, under our own strength and ability. So my question to us today, church, and I'm asking myself this question, how does that translate to our relationship with our Heavenly Father? To what extent do we desire to bring our self-sufficiency and our independence and possibly even fear of being stigmatized when it comes to asking for help, to what extent do we bring that to our relationship with God? Do we only seek him when it is a crisis and then desire to get back to self-sufficiency and independence as quickly as possible? Is it possible that some of us would say that we have a 911 relationship with God. Now we are thankful for 911. We are thankful for first responders, police officers, sheriff's deputies, state troopers, firefighters and paramedics. In fact, I know we have some here today and I think it would be fully appropriate to show our appreciation for the men and women who do the work of first responders. So we are thankful for first responders. We're thankful that we can call 911. For most of us, the times that we actually will call 911 in our lifetime is very low. In fact, it's possible that you could live your entire life and never call 911. Furthermore, you can actually get in trouble if you call 911 too much. But we're thankful that the first responders are there. Every time we drive by the fire department, we're thankful the, the word for fire trucks, the word that they like us to use is apparatus. We're thankful that the apparatuses are apparatus I, whatever they are. We're thankful that they're in the fire station. When we see the police department, when we drive by police cars, we're thankful that they are there when we need them, but we don't call them unless it is a crisis, unless it is an emergency. Is it possible, church, is it possible that to some extent we bring a 911 relationship to our Heavenly Father. We're comforted and we're reassured that he's there. We know that he's the creator of the universe. We know that he's capable of moving in every situation, but we are reluctant to call upon him for help unless we are in a crisis. And this is where we rejoin our series, God the Father. And today we're talking about a Heavenly Father, God the Father who cares. One God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is mystery in that that is beyond our human understanding. But what we do understand is the relationship between a father and a son. And what is the relationship that our Father in heaven sees with us? John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to all who received Jesus, who believe in his name, the name of Jesus, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, the Father in heaven looks down upon you and says, that is my son, that is my daughter, and he's talking about you. Now when it comes to human dads, you may have say, I didn't have a great relationship with my human dad. Maybe I had no relationship with my human dad. Yet there is universal understanding of what a good father is supposed to be. Loving, affectionate, patient, a provider, a protector, a source of wisdom, consistent and constant and reliable. What's true about human dads 
and their love, or sadly sometimes their lack of love for their children, is that their love is revealed through their interactions with their children. The way that we understand the way that a dad loves his kids or a parent loves their children is through the way that they interact with their children over time. The love of a father is revealed through his interactions with his children. The love of our heavenly father is revealed through his interactions with his children. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, that is you. And it is understandable. If you are on the outside of faith looking in, it's understandable for you to wonder why, why is it that in church we study historical accounts in the Bible from thousands of years ago, yet we read them as if they are applicable to our life today? Why is that? And maybe you even wonder that. Why is it that I can read the Bible and I read something that happened thousands of years ago, yet it speaks to my heart in what I'm facing right now? A big part of that is because the Heavenly Father whose interactions are recorded with his children thousands of years ago is the same Heavenly Father who's in charge of the world today. So when, when we read the stories from history in the Bible, we understand God's character and God's character has not changed. His character is perfect, it cannot be improved upon. So the same God who moves in the situations that we read about in the Old and the New Testament is the same God who cares for his children today. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, God is not trying to figure this out as he goes along like those of us who are human dads. God, is, God knows what he's doing and he's always known what he's doing. We also wanna share with you that if you wanna take this a step further what we talk about on Sundays and bring it into your home during the week. This year, we have partnered with the Bible Engagement Project, which offers free home devotions that you can do with your teenagers, with your kids, with other adults, with your neighbors, with other people from church. And uh, we offer you a free download of the Bible Engagement Project where you can, under the Learn category, you can find this message series, God the Father, and there are home devotions that you can do this week. And as part of that, this, the um, kids and people's kids are doing the same uh, theme that we're talking about in the sanctuary. Youth is talking about the same theme on Wednesdays. Actually, a couple weeks ago, uh, 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 there was a, one of our Sunday school teachers, she came up and she goes, Pastor Tom, it's amazing. You prepared that message and I'm teaching the same thing in Sunday school today. And I said, yes, sometimes the Holy Spirit does that, but this time we actually planned it. <laughs> so we're talking about King Hezekiah today in the sanctuary, and if you have kids who are in PC Kids today, you can ask them about King Hezekiah on the minivan right on the way home. If you have teenagers and youth, some of you are here, but you can also ask your teenagers about King Hezekiah after this Wednesday's message in youth. So onto the pages of history comes King Hezekiah about seven centuries before Jesus walked the earth. And well into his reign as king, we read about in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, this happens to King Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, now, if you're going to thus says the Lord to somebody, you better be pretty sure about what you're going to say next. When it's Isaiah, reliable. 
in general, when people come to you and says, thus says the Lord, be skeptical, unless it is directly from the word of God. So here Isaiah comes and says, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. This is a diagnosis that would push just about anyone into a place of hopelessness, despair, wrapped up in fear and worry. And maybe today you carry some of that in here today. There's something that is causing you great fear. There is something that is causing you great worry. Maybe even you have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety that you are walking through. So Hezekiah receives this terrible news. You're going to die, get your house in order. How does Hezekiah respond? How do you and I respond when we receive devastating news? There are many responses. If we were to get this same information, many responses that would be normal, understandable, even encouraged. I need time to process this. I need to call my family. I need to call my friends. I need a second medical opinion. Or at least I need to get on my phone and do some research from WebMD or Mayo Clinic or clevelandclinic.com. We would need an attorney to get our household and our will in order. Good responses, but what do we do first? What is our first reaction? Isaiah tells Hezekiah, get your affairs in order. And likely the biggest affair that Hezekiah would have needed to get in order was to set his successor in place, to set the one who would lead the nation after his death. So, It's like, we'll get to all of that. But first, verse two, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Before we get to whatever else we may need to do, Hezekiah turns toward the wall, which means that he goes to a place of solitude. Before we do anything else, I'm gonna go talk to my heavenly father. And Hezekiah responds to a terminal diagnosis with prayer. And this is a response that our Heavenly Father desires to develop in each and every one of us. You see, prayer in crisis brings courage, comfort, and change through connection with a God who cares and who's in control. Now, here's the thing. Many people in this moment will become prayers. Many people in a extreme crisis will pray a 911 prayer. Even people on the outside of faith looking in, in a desperate situation like a terminal diagnosis, would be willing to pray a 911 prayer. Father, I don't even know if you exist, but if you do, would you be willing to heal me? Father, it's been a long time. I have not been living for you, but I'm in trouble, so Lord, if you're able, would you come to my rescue? Or how about a last minute 911 prayer? God, I have tried everything else and nothing else has worked. So if you exist, Lord, would you be willing to intervene in what I'm facing right now? Now, what is amazing, what is amazing, and maybe this has been a story for you at some point in your life, that there are people who pray 911 prayers bringing the faith of a mustard seed And God has actually answered their prayers. God has actually answered their prayers, revealing how much he loves and how much he cares. I want you to look at what Hezekiah prays. Because when we read the words of Hezekiah's prayer, it is different than what 
many of us would pray in this situation. We would pray, Lord, I have this diagnosis. I've been told I'm going to die. Lord, please heal me. Lord, I need your intervention, which are good things to pray. But look at what Hezekiah prays, verse 3. Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. We are thankful that the Bible records the real raw emotions of people. And here, Hezekiah is so overwhelmed by what he's facing that after his prayer, he breaks down and cries. But the prayer ends, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight, period, end of prayer. Now we don't know if this is the full prayer or a highlight of the prayer, but what Hezekiah prays in this moment is a one-sentence summary of his lifelong relationship with God. And it's accurate. You see, Hezekiah's reign as king and his life is summarized as good and as right and as faithful before the Lord. So what Hezekiah brings to the Lord is a one-sentence prayer that is a summary of his lifetime of faithfulness, and he's right. You see, Hezekiah took over for a, for a wicked king, and Hezekiah repaired God's house, the temple. He raised up godly spiritual leaders. Hezekiah eradicated pagan idols and practices from the nation, and Hezekiah placed God back at the center of leadership of the nation and church. We could use that today. That's good. like five of you wanted to clap. More of you, it's good, thank you. You see, Hezekiah did not have a 911 relationship with the Lord. Hezekiah had a lifelong relationship with God. And what we see is that God is ready to help. Psalm 46.1 describes the Lord as refuge, as strength, and as an ever-present help, as an ever-present help. And church, I just want to challenge us today. I want to challenge us. Some of us are not asking for enough help from the Lord. We're withholding our request, and we are relying on self-sufficiency. Now, in human parenting relationships, we are desiring to push our children towards independence. Throughout childhood, we're trying to raise our kids up so they can function independently. Some of you have adult children, and you are praying for the independence of your children. That's human relationships. That's human parenting. In human relationships, asking for help, it can be perceived as a sign of weakness or appearing incapable. Asking for help, we don't want to do it because we don't want to be a burden. We don't want others to think less of us if they figure out that we can't do it on our own. Or we fear asking for help might compromise our independence or our ability to make decisions. Or we don't want to ask for help because we see that there are finite, limited resources and we don't want to be the one who takes resources when we perceive that there are others who are out there who may be in greater need than us. That's our human relationships. But our relationship with God, it needs to be different because we do not worship a finite, limited God. We worship an unlimited, infinite Heavenly Father who is fully capable to help every one of his children at the same time. 
in our relationship with our heavenly father, it's actually his desire that we will become more dependent upon him all the time. And it's not because we are growing weaker, it's because we are increasing in our understanding of how much he cares and how great he is. I don't know about you, but I know that I need help from the Lord in my marriage. I need help as a parent. I need help raising my kids. I need help in my ministry. We need help in school and relationships and finances and health, overcoming addictions and bad habits, prioritizing our time. We need help overcoming fears and worries. We need help setting the course for our future and accomplishing our God-given purposes. When we start to think about it, it's like, oh, I don't know if I need help in any area. But when we start to put that list out there, we realize that there are many, many areas where we can seek the Lord for help. And, and we choose when we do that to trade in, we choose to trade in what is limited by our own abilities and instead choose to operate in the help of the Lord, which is his strength, his wisdom, his discernment, his power, his protection, and his provision. Now, it's, we talked about this a little bit last week. Seeking the Lord for help or seeking the care of the Lord is not an excuse for laziness. Asking God for help is not a substitute for the skills and abilities that he has given you and me. Asking God for help is an empowerment that goes through the skills and abilities that he's given you and me. So it can sound counterintuitive to our ambition for independence and self-sufficiency to increase in our request of help from the Lord. Yet, yet God actually desires that we will grow in our dependence upon him to the point, see, some of you are, brand new followers of Jesus Christ. Some of you are figuring out if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Others in this church family, we've been followers of Christ for decades. Some of you have been a follower of Jesus for longer than I've been alive. But no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, here's what can be true of all of us. We can all say, I am more dependent on God today than I have ever been in my entire life. Because our heavenly father desires that we will only increase in our dependence upon him. Now, some of us have been through some storms. Some of us have been through some storms. Melinda, our missionary, who serves the continent of Europe, talked about being through two, not one, but two cancer diagnoses. She's been through the storm. Some of you have been through the storm. And so when we've been through the storm and we've experienced the Lord's help in the storm, we can say, Lord, thank you for bringing me through the storm. Now I need to get back to self-sufficiency and independence as quickly as possible. Or, Lord, I experienced how you brought me through the storm. I'm not going back to self-sufficiency or independence ever again. We see, we see what's happening in the culture around us. Many of us can, can see so clearly a culture that is moving farther and farther from the ways of the Lord. And yes, we are thankful for social safety nets and yes, we believe in serving, suffering, and hurting people with the compassion of Jesus Christ, but as we look at the solution to what's happening in the world around us, we do not need more people dependent on the government. We need more people who are, will say, I will be dependent upon God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Hezekiah, 
He cries out to the Lord. He weeps. He seeks God in desperation. The logical sequence of, of, of events, the logical sequence of events for Hezekiah is that he's already been very sick. He receives a terminal diagnosis. And the next step in this logical progression is that he's going to die. See, Hezekiah, though, he seeks the Lord. He seeks the Lord to disrupt or to interrupt the logical or expected series of events. And prayer is often the pursuit of God to disrupt the logical or expected series of events. Maybe you're facing something right now in your life. Maybe the doctors have told you this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. Or maybe you have come into some trouble and the lawyers have said, well, first this is going to occur, then this is going to occur, and then this is going to happen. That's where we seek God. And we say, Lord, this is what everyone is saying will ultimately happen. But I am seeking you as my heavenly father to disrupt or to interrupt the predicted series of events. Verse 4. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. So, before Isaiah could even check his text messages, the Lord says, you need to go back. You need to go back. There's been a change. There's been a change. And what we're about to see is one of many evidences in the Bible where prayer changes an outcome. And I think a lot of us as followers of Christ, we wondered, does my prayer actually have the ability to change the outcome of an event? Does my prayer actually matter? Or is prayer simply limited to helping me feel better? I would, I would share this with you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, you are a living example that prayer has the power to change a predictable outcome. Salvation is the greatest evidence that prayer has the power to change a predictable outcome. Why? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That is the predictable outcome. The predictable certain outcome of life without Jesus Christ is eternity without God in the torment of hell. Yet that predictable certain outcome can be changed with a prayer. Because the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a prayer. So through a prayer, you can change the outcome of your eternity. Prayer has the power to change outcomes. James chapter 5, verse 16. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, as, as has been said before, if you can convince your own siblings that you are the son of God, that's a big deal. And James, if you know the New Testament, you know that James and the other people in Jesus' household, they were reluctant to see that Jesus was the son of God. Yet after the death and resurrection, Jesus' own sibling, James, is convinced that his half-brother is the son of God and becomes a leader in the church. And James would go on to write, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is working. Prayer has the ability and the power to change outcomes. Hezekiah's prayer is the prayer of a righteous person. So there is Isaiah. The Lord says, 
Isaiah, you need to go back. There's a new message for Hezekiah. Verse five, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord. Isaiah's like, I have already, just minutes ago, I gave Hezekiah a thus says the Lord. Now there's a new thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears, period. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Sometimes the the politically correct thing to say when someone is going through a crisis or when there's a big natural disaster, someone will say, it would be really helpful if you could send your good thoughts and your prayers. Send your good thoughts and your prayers as if good thoughts and prayers are equal. Prayer is not good thoughts and deep breathing and meditation. Prayer is connecting with the creator of the expanding universe. Prayer is a direct connection to the heavenly father who's not distant and punishing, but who is loving, close, and caring. For Hezekiah, Hezekiah, there is immediate response to God hearing the prayer. God sees the tears, he hears the prayer, and he responds immediately. Now, you and I know from life experience that this is not always how it works. You see, God always hears us right away. And then God determines the time between hearing our prayer and the healing. Delayed healing, delayed healing does not mean delayed hearing. God always hears us right away, yet in his perfect timing, he determines how and when he's going to respond. Now look at verse 6. This is God's message to Hezekiah. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Oh yeah, by the way, Hezekiah has received this deadly diagnosis and when he receives this this diagnosis that he's going to die, there is a conquering foreign army that is knocking on the doorstep of the nation ready to take over the country. So God gives Hezekiah this message. I'm gonna deliver you. You're going to add 15 years to your life And by the way, this city is going to be delivered out of the king of Assyria. You're not going to be conquered. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God says, I have a purpose for this nation that does not involve it being conquered by a foreign army at this time. We see through this answered prayer that God's care, it is personal. God cares for us individually and he knows us intimately. We can turn to him. Hezekiah, his life is extended for 15 years. In that time, Hezekiah, he's going to make some mistakes, but he also will see God protect his nation from a powerful invading army. Hezekiah receives an extension to the time that he has this side of eternity. But we also see that the extension will ultimately run out, that he will ultimately die. Hezekiah is not still alive today life this side of eternity will end. And what is true for all of us, what all of us have in common today is we all have a remaining time. We all have a remaining time. Now, the Lord could come back at any moment until he does, until the Lord returns, until Jesus comes back. The remaining time that each of us has is all different. 
It could be months, it could be years, it could be decades. But the time that we have remaining, the, the duration is different. But we, what we all have in common is that we all have a remaining time. So the question today is what will we do with our remaining time? If God has saved us, and he has if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, how will we express our gratitude to him that we will eventually spend eternity with him? You see, God's response to prayer reveals his care. Our response to his care reveals our gratitude. Hezekiah finds out that he has 15 years. Now, I feel like there's already been like quite a few heavy questions to wrestle with today, but I, I can tell by the, the look on your faces that you would like one more heavy question. If you could find out, if you could find out how much time you have remaining, would you want to know? Would you want to know? The reality is that we don't usually get to know that answer, but we all have an amount of time remaining. And as an expression of gratitude to our Heavenly Father for what he's done for us by saving us from eternal separation from him, what are we going to do to carry out his purposes in the time that we have remaining. Most of us would say we don't want to live with regrets. We don't want to get to the end and look back and say I worked too much. We don't want to look back and regret that we never went after our God-given dreams. We don't want to look back and think of conflicts that we could have resolved but chose not to. We don't want to get to the end and look back and think of the people that we really wanted to forgive but we never forgave. We don't want, we don't want to get to the end and regret that we had not shared our faith with more people. Now, as we gather in this place today, you may be in the place between God hearing you, yet God has not yet healed you. God has heard you, but he's not yet healed you. In the space in between there, this is often where we can fall into worry and fear and maybe for you it manifests in panic attacks or in depression or anxiety. And maybe it's, it's not one thing in particular. You've suffered from panic attacks throughout your life. And it's because of how you're wired. Or maybe your default response is to worry or to be afraid. And possibly today you've even been diagnosed with anxiety or depression. Pastor Louis Giglio, pastor in Georgia, just released a new book called Putting an X Through Anxiety. And in that book he writes, walking free from panic attacks, depression, fear, and worry is a process, one with many steps and turns. The key to living untangled from anxiety is not a plan, but a capital P, person. Anxiety may be a giant looking to knock and keep you down, but Jesus is the giant slayer. And he is inviting you to allow him to lead you through whatever you are facing in this world. Amen. Now, church, I want you to hear my heart. We know that issues surrounding depression and anxiety are often deep and complex, and we do not want to oversimplify them today. But what we can do, church, what we can do, we can resolve 
that fear and worry, anxiety and depression do not have to have the final word. We can resolve that we're, we're not going to settle for there's nothing that I can do about it. We're, we can resolve today to decide that we're not going to say there's nothing he can do about it. God wants to help. And not just on the days that we have a terminal diagnosis or an extreme crisis. God wants to help every day. He wants us to live in his help. And the painful thing, as we've talked about today, the difference between growing in independence as we uh, parent our children, that we desire them to become more independent over time, yet our Heavenly Father wants us to become actually more dependent over time. For some in this room, that has brought on a pain for you as an earthly parent of adult children because the only time your kids ever call you is when they're in a crisis. It's like the phone rings or you receive a text and you know, oh, my son or my daughter is in trouble again because the only time they ever reach out is when they're in a crisis. And you would say as a human parent, it has actually been your desire for years or longer that your adult children would call you and not just when they're having a really bad day. You're thankful that they call you when they're in trouble. You're thankful that you're their first call when they're in a crisis. But the longing of your heart is that your kids would actually reach out to you not only when it's a terrible day. And in that way, I believe our Heavenly Father is saying, would you please stop waiting until your worst days to reach out to me? Would you please stop treating me like a 911 God? Because our Heavenly Father is infinite and unlimited, and He is fully capable of helping all of His children at the same time. And so I have an action step that I believe can be helpful to some or many of us today. Would you consider, if you take notes in your phone or with a pen or pencil, would you consider writing down right now in this moment? Areas where you could ask God for help. Areas where maybe you've never thought to ask him for help before. Or areas where you once asked him for help, but you've stopped asking him for help. And maybe you'd write down names of specific people. Lord, I need your help in my relationship with this person. Or maybe there's been an ongoing tension in a relationship with a spouse, your spouse, or with your children, little children or teenage children or adult children, and you're saying, Lord, I need your help in navigating my relationship with my teenage daughter. Maybe at work, you're actually doing quite well. You've had success, you know success. But you'd say, the success that I've experienced has come really from my own self-sufficiency and independence and for you this is a moment of exciting of excitement and dreaming because you're wondering Lord if I could do this on my own what might I be able to do with your help what might I be able to do if you were to help Lord help me in my leadership maybe you're in charge of hiring people for your organization Lord help me find the right candidate when we start to go down this trail maybe we came in today saying I don't really need any help but when we start to go down this trail, we realize that the list actually can become quite long in areas where the Lord has the potential and willingness 
to help. An ever-present help. An ever-present help. I believe that in many areas, he desires to help. He's just waiting for you to ask. He's just waiting for you to ask. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. Thank you.